All right, everyone, we are back again with OUDP Leakage Detection Explained. I'm Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This and the Volp Firm. We're back with another episode of our, of all things Doxis. Um, with us today is Flavio Malcon, Product Support Specialist at Geo, FSG Geo Solutions. Flavio, welcome to the show, your first time on. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're broadcasting from. Well, thank you, Brady. Uh, yes, so my name is Flavio Marcon. I am with Effigies Geo Solutions um, from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. All right. I'm a product support specialist for the CPAT line of leakage uh, monitoring and location, and as well as the ingress detection uh, system. Um, I've been in the industry for probably around 35 years now. So time flies and it's um, still fun. Oh, Outstanding. that's it. Thank you, Flavio. Also with us is Jason Miller, technical marketing engineer at Cisco Systems. Jason, you've also been on a show with us. Glad to have you back. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me back. Yep, I'm still uh, transmitting from uh, the sticks kind of north of New Orleans in Louisiana. And I've uh, been at Cisco for 23 years now. And a good chunk of those working with cable industry. Outstanding, Jason. And John Downey, a longtime supporter of the show and always with us, senior CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, good to have you back once again. How are you doing, John? It's always great to add color commentary. <laughs> I'm just here for humor. You're the anchor of the show, John. Good to have you with <laughs> us. So today, we're going to be talking about OUDP leakage detection, why you should be concerned about it, why you should understand it. We're going to talk a little bit through it. But before we start on that, we think you should understand, you know, what is leakage, why we test it, um, and how you test it. To start off with that, I'm going to ask Flavio to um, to start us off in that conversation, because so Flavio at Effigis, I think you know a little bit about leakage testing. Um, Flavio, what is leakage testing? Why should we be concerned about it? Can you just give us a quick intro? Okay, sure. Absolutely. So leakage testing is is a mandatory um, maintenance operation that needs to be done with the cable operators. It's twofold. Okay. One, of course, is maintenance uh, of the coaxial plant. Okay, to ensure the uh, you know the the uh, integrity, if you want, or the the good quality of the coaxial plant, in order to provide you know uh, good services to the customers and subscribers. But the other portion as well that we've been doing for for many many years, of course, is in order to uh, ensure that uh, the frequencies that we're using, as well as the aeronautical band, are not being interfered. Okay, so there is a requirement, okay, that the, the aeronautical band, okay, be monitored, okay, and be uh, and be and, and reported, being done every quarter, to ensure that a certain a certain uh, limit, okay, is not surpassed as far as energy that's being uh, that's being irradiated from the uh, the coaxial plant. Right. So we're, you know, we're always transmitting signals from the head end or hub sites down to our customers and and what you're saying is 
we don't want those signals to leak out of our coax plant and impact other services, whether that could be airplanes flying overhead or LTE or your cell phone signals and things like that. Our, our signals in a coax plant can impact those. So this leakage exactly. testing that you're talking about is we're trying to actually measure if our cable plant <clears throat> is allowing these signals to leak out. Um, That's correct. So what you know, there's are there, there's are there government bodies that are concerned about these signals? Yes, there are government bodies. The FCC, of course, requires that all uh, cable operators report, submit quarterly reports. Okay, uh, up here in Industry Canada, we have essentially the same type. Okay, of uh, reporting requirements that need to be done, uh, not, although not as frequently. Okay, but essentially the basics of it. Okay, remain the same. We have to we have to respect a a, a certain cumulative leakage index. Okay, for the the licensed uh, operator. Okay, does not surpass the the number of the the figure of sorry of sixty four. Okay, so that's you know it is a sort of a measuring stick okay telling the uh telling the 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 government bodies okay that we're within the limits okay of the uh, rf energy that's being emitted from the cable plant in the aeronautical band of course we're also doing leakage now in the lt band the higher frequencies okay because we are there too you know sharing spectrum okay with the uh, cellular operators okay and therefore we could in fact be interfering with the cellular operators okay but as well okay wherever there normally there is a leak at a certain frequency or an egress from the plant okay you would always also have ingress into the plant so it's a twofold, if you want to say, twofold uh, maintenance operation. So, so I would say that you know we have a requirement, and it's it's mediocre stringent. But as cable operators, we are more stringent, trying to mm -hmm. give good quality to our customer. So we have a certain number to reach for FAA, FCC, no interference to aero aero navigation. Um, but we definitely don't want that stuff interfering with our signal, and. Um, but with that in mind, we also know a leak at say 138 megahertz doesn't mean that a smaller hole doesn't let in 27 megahertz. Or, Correct. You know, uh, frequencies can be very uh, you know finicky. <laughs> you don't know where they're coming from, and you could look for a leakage at 138 and say, "Hey, everything's fine." But as cable operators, we're usually looking for even tighter numbers than what the FCC wants. Because uh, we don't want any leakage, right? We don't want because any, any leakage probably means ingress as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's sort of the way I look at it. And and we talk about there could be a flyover, but not many people have puddle jumpers or crop dusters <laughs> that they can have access to to do a flyover to actually measure the RF energy at certain levels. Uh, so we do cumulative leakage index CLI, and that's a, a ride around, right? And detecting uh, leakage through your plant, and then using formulas to figure out what that cumulative leakage index is. So uh, you you talk about flyovers and stuff, but how generally do we measure leakage today in in a cable plant? Because, I mean, we have miles and miles of cable plant going everywhere. It could be through cities, could be through rural areas. How do we? How traditionally are we measuring this leakage, Flavio? Could you help us out? Well, 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, the, typically what John just mentioned as far as the rideouts, okay, uh, this, these rideouts are done on a, on a, uh, on a quarterly basis, okay? And what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're measuring and, and recording, okay, all the leaks, okay, that are 50 microvolts per meter or higher. Okay, and it's the the, uh, the these uh, leakage we call them events. <laughs> these leakage events are plugged into a formula. Okay, that is used to calculate the CLI based on the total um, the total plant mileage. Okay, that's in, that's that's in the, the the footprint or the PSID. Okay, uh, and compared to and compared to the patrolled uh, plant that was uh, done during the ride out. And yeah. with, with that formula, then, then you get your, your CLI figure. As so a you, might outfit, you might outfit all your RF techs bands with uh, the gear to detect, mm -hmm. but your test equipment uh, inserts a signal at the head end, right? Right. And then it, it, it broadcasts out from the head end out everywhere. Uh, but that signal also has a signature to it, correct? Correct. Like a tag, they might call it a tag or a frequency shift key or something of that nature. Correct. So that kind of a, that kind of a, an approach is used in order to. It was it initially was used to uh, with overbuilders. Okay, not to confuse uh, on with when all analog uh, signals were available, not to confuse the the two plants. Okay, which one was leaking? But in, in today, yes, with the, uh, the the technologies we have today, as far as the tagging. If you want of, of our, our the injected signals, okay, we are you know eliminating any or as much as possible any any possibilities of recording any false leaks that are not actually coming from the plant. Since the leakage detectors, essentially what they are, they're they're re receiving a, you know, an off-air spectrum. So anything that's off-air is being received by the leakage detector. So we want to identify it, okay, to make sure it is a signal that we are injecting in the plant and strictly use those, you know, for as far as the calculations. Okay. So, Jason, um, before we get into OUDP, which everyone, we're going to get into that in just a moment, if we look at DOCSIS, you know, 1X, 2O, 3O modems, is there anything in CMTSs or cable modems prior to DOCSIS 3.1 that would give us the ability to do any type of leakage measurement or have any visibility into leakage in, you know, pre-DOCSIS 3.1 CMTSs and, and cable modems? Yeah, I mean, I think, and there's stuff that Flavio talked about, we were just doing it more in the downstream direction uh, today. And that's just because in prior DOCSIS versions, you know, 85 megahertz was the biggest split that we had. So the aeronautical has always been something that we've been a lot more focused on because of the FAA regulations. So it really wasn't until we moved to DOCSIS 3.1 that we were concerned about how to do that on the upstream, which is, I think, what we're probably going to talk about here later on. Right. Awesome. So, let me, let me add, let me add, Brady. You, the question was, I don't know, a little gray. Um, you said, what, was there anything in older modems to detect egress or leakage? But I would counter that with saying you had full bandwidth capture that could detect ingress. Right. Right. And that, that's one of the things that we had a benefit of with full band capture. We could see if maybe there was a large FM signal leaking in, or maybe if there was unused spectrum, we could see LTE. And, and that's kind of what you're getting with full, full band capture, John, where we could see something if it was large and leaking in. <laughs> leaking. 
Ingress in. Ingress yeah. in, yes. When I, when I say leaking, I think Ingressing. <laughs> I'm thinking out. <laughs> Ingressing in. Let's say ingress. That makes sense. Um, okay, so um, so we kind of covered what leakage is, how we test it a little bit, um, but things are changing in our network. We're, we're moving to what's called a high split plant where you may have a 42 megahertz return today. That's gonna grow to an 85 megahertz, eventually a 204 megahertz return. And there's a lot of talk that this is gonna change the way we're doing ingress or leakage testing today. And, and so why is that? Why will that impact? the way you know, going to a high split plant why is that going to change our the way that we test leakage today flavia i'll let you take that first yeah so the, the uh, what we have to do now with the uh, tool for high split thing is uh, we have to determine a way how to do leakage detection in that you know that uh, sacred aeronautical band uh, as far as the fcc is concerned they don't care if it's upstream downstream no stream you have to respect their uh, specifications for in the aeronautical band, okay? So that being said, okay, since now the 204 is all up in the upstream, okay, obviously we cannot use our traditional legacy injection or detection, okay, of specific frequencies or carriers, okay, that are inserted in the downstream, okay? So we have to find a, uh, a solution Okay, to be able to do leakage detection with signals that are coming from the actual subscribers or you know other upstream from the subscribers back to the uh, the RPD or the head end, and that's where the um, OUDP concept uh, was brought about. Um, there are other uh, uh, you know solutions that have been put on the table. Okay, but after after you know several you know, work on it, okay, it was deemed that the OUDP method was actually going to be something that was be a lot simpler to do and possible to do in, with the technology we have today. Right, the devil's advocate, let me throw a few things. Uh, and Jason can answer this too, I think. What if someone said, let's just avoid the frequencies altogether? How much would we lose if we really tried to just Avoid the FAA frequencies, like don't even use them in our in for our upstream. Could we do that? I've heard people say that, but I think we lose a lot more than you would think. You could, yeah, that's that's valuable bandwidth that you're losing. Exactly, yeah, 30, about thirty megahertz. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, that's a good you know, chunk. I mean, you're it's a good chunk, right? And it's 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 good spectrum too. I mean, you know, it's it's one thing if you lost thirty megahertz at you know five to you know, some some stuff like that, but. We're talking like 108, 137, so somewhere in there. This is this is good spectrum. It's Probably stuff that you're going to run higher order modulations. Um, to answer your question, yes, you can. We we certainly always have supported exclusion bands. You could put exclusion bands. I think some of the early people to deploy did that just for be to be very conservative until they had a a time where they could do out of band testing on the upstream side. I mean, <laughs> you know, testing on the upstream for leakage detection. But it is prime real estate. It's it's going to be like very very clean spectrum that we can use. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, going to two hundred four megahertz as as Flavio indicated, what used to be downstream is now becoming upstream. So we can we can no longer put our our leakage head end leakage detection uh, injection system in our head end and broadcast our leakage detection signals. Now they have to come from our subscribers' home. So this takes us into the concept of using ODP burst signals. But before 
we can even talk about OUDP burst signals, we have to talk about what is OUDP. And Jason, I'll let you explain what what uh, is what does OUDP mean. Yeah, I mean, what it really means it's an OFDMA upstream data profile, and it's always been around. We've just shortened it because now it's kind of been used a lot more in the context of leakage detection that we just say OUDP. But um, it was just like just like on the downstream for DOCSIS 3.1, we could have multiple modulation orders supported in one channel. We have that on the upstream, and these OUDPs get assigned to modems, and, and they actually use the interval usage code. And that's how we can have different modulation orders being used on the same upstream channel. So that was what OUDP is. The OUDP test burst then has always also been a function of DOCSIS 3.1. And what that allows you to do is um, you could go in if you want to test to see if a modem could support a higher order modulation. You could use this test burst to tell the modem to use this particular interval usage code that might correspond to 2048 QAM. And then you could see if the modem transmits clean in there. Um, Cisco didn't use that. We use a, a, something called probing where we measure receive MER for all the subcarriers and then assign the OUDP to the modem based on that. Okay, so so OUDP is part of the standard DOCSIS protocol, and it's it's really just the way the modems are um, assigned their modulation profiles based on the amount of noise. Less right. noise means they can transmit at higher up more up modulation profiles. More noise they're going to transmit at lower modulation profiles. Is that is that basically exactly. sum it up, Jason? Exactly right. Yeah. And and now it, now to take it further, you're saying this. OUDP test burst that the modems has, that's part of the communication between the modem and the CMTS where the, the modem's sort of testing the waters to see if it can run at a higher order modulation when it sends out this OUDP test burst. Is that is that kind of how that's working? That That's how it would work. That's right. And again, we didn't necessarily, Cisco didn't necessarily deploy it for that functionality, but right, that's how it would work. If we wanted to see, let's say today you're running 512 QAM, um, we want to see if you could do a higher order modulation. We would tell you to, to, to do a test burst on that particular IUC, and we would measure what the kind of performance was, bit, bit, uh, you know, code word errors, that kind of thing. Yes, and I don't think Cisco's the only one who didn't take advantage of the OUDP right. test burst. Uh, there, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of different vendors have, have gone like to an RxMER sounding where they, they use the RxMER data uh, in order right. to see what is the, the more available profile. So it's you know, like we come out with good right. ideas and DOCSIS and then vendors choose different implementations. So it's all good. Uh, We're all friends here. One of the things there, too, that was also there's a limit that the modems only need to support or they can only support up to two um, OFDM or OUDPs at a time. So they only assign two at a time, even though you could have seven defined on a channel. So that kind of limited some of that functionality as well. Right. But the good news is we did seem to come up with a really innovative use for these OUDP test bursts when it comes into Flavio's initial challenge of, oh, now the, the downstream where we used to transmit our leakage test signals is now the upstream. I can't transmit downstream signals on the upstream from the head end, but I still need to test leakage in that aeronautical band. So here comes a use for those OUDP test bursts. Um, so, so how is that? How are we using OUDP test bursts for leakage? Flavio, I'll, I'll let you take this one first. Okay, well, essentially what, what uh, we're doing is we're, to put it simply, okay, we are configuring through the CNTS, we are configuring 
uh, or provisioning, if you want. Okay, I don't know what the right term would be, but we're essentially telling the modems, okay, uh, to to insert a certain uh, test burst in the sequence, okay, between the different modems in within the the uh, the, the node, okay. Uh, and the leakage detection equipment, okay, needs to be configured with the exact same parameters, okay, in order for it to detect, okay, that uh, OUDP burst, okay, and that becomes, if you want, that becomes the signal that we are tagging off, okay, to uh, confirm that there is a leak coming from the plant in that, um, you know, aeronautical band area, okay, that is now in the upstream. Okay, so the test burst comes from the subscriber's home. Um, if it leaks out, you're going to receive it somehow, correct? Correct. Okay, um, so so Jason, on on the CMTS side and the cable modem side, how how does this configuration happen? Well, you, you the, the, what kind of what Flavio was talking about. You'll have we'll define a number of frames that'll be in a burst. And then we'll define, we can define a gap between them if you want. And then we can define how often we want this to cycle through. And we'll define a frequency range that that burst is going to take place in. And when, when we do that configuration, what we'll actually build is another service flow that goes out to the modems. And we call it an OU, a OBT, an o, um, OUDP burst test. And the modems will then transmit in a given order so that, you know, it'll always be in a set order for different modems. They'll then transmit on that frequency um, in, in the cycles that they're running through. And then that's where Flavio's equipment is, is geared towards that, looking to, to see if they see any signals coming out in that particular frequency range. Cool. So, so John, how, you know, if looking at this from an RF perspective, how much signal can we expect to get out of a subscriber's home from a cable modem? So, um, you know, the, the modem and the CMTS negotiate their transmit levels, right? Uh, so whatever level is needed to hit the CMTS or RPD remote fly device at zero dBmV, it is what it is. The modem will put out what it needs based on the, the passive loss, the coax loss, the tap it's going through, return path, step attenuators, all that stuff. And, you know, we, we try to engineer our and design our plant so modems are transmitting near 45, 48 dBmV. You know, that would be a nice number knowing where the modems max out. And that could be 50, 51, 53, depending on a 3.1 modem versus a 3.0 modem and how many channels are operating. Um, so, you know, power level wise, you could be pumping out, you know, 48 dBmV. Uh, but part of the OUDP test burst is, and Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, you can specify the frequency. You can yeah. specify specific MAC addresses, or you might say, this entire service group or activate the test burst on every single Mac domain. Maybe Jason can elaborate more on, you know, how do we, how do we determine which areas are going to be active? Yeah. You could, you could do a lot of configurations on how you do that. The way we envision it though, is probably all upstream three, one modems. You're going to have them transmit just so that you could, you could you could detect whether they're having leakage, um, but but you're right. You can have a subset of modems that are only transmitting on it. So a lot of different configurations that you could have. But also 
you know, what you want to do is you don't want to have thousands of configuration within one box. We, we kind of have a configuration where you can apply one configuration globally, and then we'll just look at all the line cards. And if there's an OFDMA channel that's active with that frequency band that you're trying to test on, we'll then have those modems get, get put into that test. It's interesting also, Brady, about what if you don't have any 3-1 modems in that area? Well, if you don't have 3-1 modems, you're not probably not doing a 204. <laughs> probably not. You're not doing it very well. <laughs> now you're, up, you're upgrading to 204 because you're going to make money on it, yeah. right? And people are I asking mean, for more speed. The thing, too, with, you know, with the upstream is that it's bursty by nature. So if you don't have any, or is a downstream steady, if you don't have any free one modems, even if you configured that channel, there's no one to transmit back on it. You won't, you know, you won't, you won't get any uh, sources. Right. So, so that's, I think, a good point that you're making. This is something that you have to have DOCSIS 3.1 modems. It's not something we can do with 3.0 modems or any earlier version of DOCSIS modems, correct? No, correct. Right. Right. So who, I mean, are, where are we at in the process of, of doing this type of testing today? Are we working with uh, Cable Labs or anything like that, Flavio? Yeah, uh, Cable Labs has been active active in uh, this uh, developing the specification, if you want. Okay, and um, right now, okay, uh, there are there are um, you know s several uh, operators that I'm aware of any that are deploying uh, uh, Doxis three one, of course, and will be migrating uh, you know towards uh, a high split um, network. Okay, so that's another one of the challenges that we're gonna we're basically facing as far as you know leakage uh detection and reporting okay is that equipment that's set up for doing oudp detection obviously is not able to, or is not going to do the traditional legacy detection okay and since the the cable operators obviously will not be able to turn the switch on overnight and have everyone up on 204 with DOCSIS 3.1 modems, it poses a challenge where there has to be some, some way to transition between the two, the two technologies. Well, do we have a solution for that? I mean, because I think you raise a really good point. When we, when we are transitioning, we still have to do, we still have to do both. Um, right. What, what is the solution yeah. to that? There is there is some 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 solutions for it. Okay, um, there is a possibility with given with the uh, the uh, the electronics that are being used today. Okay, uh, there is a you know a way to uh, if you want to configure the detection equipment to do both in an alternating mode. Okay, so the detection equipment is in the same frequency range. Okay, so the detection equipment will, will try to look for one type. Of legacy uh, of legacy signal or the the OUDP signal, and if it locks on the UDP signal, then it'll use that to the detection. So there are ways of doing it. Is there, it's not perfected yet, but there are ways of doing it. Has there has there been any discussion of a modem being able to do a burst in the downstream? A burst in the downstream. I don't. <laughs> it doesn't transmit. I mean, but. No, yeah, how it happened. Not part of the solution, unfortunately. Not, um, not, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> how about, um, how about uh, best practices or gotchas that we've run into so far in, in this journey of OUDP tech? I, I, could, I could talk to some, at least from the CMCS side. 
Yeah. Well, one of it was on when we, when we were talking about we do that receive MER data, we do that through something called probing. OUDP test first, we're now going to assign a particular part of that frequency band to modems to transmit on a recurring uh, period of time. Yeah. And I've just talked to those together because what can happen is if you configure screen. there's some options as far as on if you configure the uh, <laughs> you got me all right? Yeah. All right. But anyway. <laughs> but on the uh, if you configure some of the parts where you you dedicate too much of the time to the test burst, you can have it where you don't get enough opportunities to do probing, and you don't get the you don't get the probing data back. Modems don't probe. You can't assign modems other IUCs other than the control one IUC thirteen. So there's some values like that. You usually don't get into that if you just go through and say, hey, I want my modems to uh, to transmit this test burst every maybe twice a second, some type of value like that. Those are, when you do those configurations, those usually aren't, you don't see those same type of issues on it. Right. So, so basically, Jason, and, and I, I apologize to our viewers, we're, we're having an issue with Zoom crashing today. Um, you, basically, it's, it's a matter of, you, to summarize what you're saying, it's a matter of um, optimizing the way the, the modems are transmitting their test pairs so we don't have any issues. Right. Just in the specs, when they when they kind of set up how they did, there's multiple ways that you can configure it. You can configure it by test cycle and time duration, or you can configure it by frame duration. And when you do by this frame duration, you, you got to do a lot more math to back into it. You can have some issues where you'll um, you could you could make it where you don't you can't do your probing the way you should be able to do it on a regular basis. Right. Right. No, that makes complete sense. Um, so, uh, so when we're doing OUDP test bursting, uh, when we're doing this whole thing, you know, we're, how do we find out like what house the leak, are we able to determine a specific house? Cause you know, normally when we're doing leakage testing, we're driving around in, in vehicles and that vehicle is able to drive down to maybe a, a break in the coax cable or an, an amplifier with a loose kinetic connection, or maybe even a subscriber's house that has a bad drop. Um, with this new concept of OUDP leakage or test burst leakage, what, what did you call it? O, o, D, o, D, L? Oh, we, we call the service flow an OBT. OBT. Uh, with this, OBT. Okay, with OBT, OBT and, and leakage. Are we able to do that same type of thing where we could actually drive to a subscriber's house that has a bad drop? And yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the principle remains the same. Yeah, the, the signals are coming or the detection signals are coming from the modems. Not all at the same time, like uh, like Jason mentioned, the, the, you know, they're, they're toggling through. So whenever you're driving around doing a ride out, if you want, okay, in the in, within the plant, okay, the same basically the same approach appear, comes up. If you detect the signal, there's a leak there that's valid over 20 microvolts, okay. Um, usually today's systems, what they do is they geolocate the point, okay, where the uh, leak was detected. So whether it's coming from the subscriber or whether it's coming from the plant, okay, uh, you know, this, the same, the same uh, approach to it works. So let me reiterate and, and, and key in on what you said, geolocate. Mm -hmm. So I could be an RF tech doing my daily business, uh, working on the customer's but my rig, my van is, is, is set up for detection, but I'm not actively looking for detection or I'm not troubleshooting leakage. I just happen to have a van that's detecting it, but it's being logged 
with uh, geo, geo uh, what do we call it? Information. Geolocated uh, point. So later on, there could be a different tech that that's his job to look at all the data and then go out and fix the leaks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Correct. So that you know, the typically today with the uh, the systems we have, okay, so the 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 events, the leakage events, are geolocated and plotted on the mapping application that you know that's overlaid over the the uh, the MSOs or the customer's um, plant. Okay, so you know it's logged. It becomes it becomes a, a valid leak that needs to be repaired, and then you know the maintenance technician will go out to that geolocated point. That's been recorded, and look, find and fix the actual source, okay, of the uh, of the leak. So you could sort it. You could sort it by worst case, and then yeah, exactly you know, put out the bigger intensity. Fire that's right. It could be by intensity. You know, obviously, we want to hit the highest first. Okay, and work your way down. And, and I wanted to reiterate also, uh, Brady, that you know we're talking about two hundred four for higher upstream speeds. Docs is three one, mm -hmm. but you know FDX. Also is a solution, but that's Doxus 4.0. You know, Doxus 4.0 FDX has no diplex filters, so that was sort of another way around worrying about leakage detection. You know, you could still transmit your normal downstream leakage signal because you could have overlapping upstream and downstream spectrum in an FDX solution. Mm -hmm. uh, but that that brings its own difficulties, <laughs> technical challenges as well. <laughs> We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of bridges, um, we do have a subscriber question that came in. It's not really related to um, OFDM leakage detection, but it's related to DOCSIS 3.1. Uh, Jeff asks, is it normal for OFDM PLC upstream channel to be set to 850 megahertz? And he says he's he's on Xfinity cable. So, yeah, I think he must be meaning the downstream signal because the OFDM is always a downstream signal. The PLC itself, um, Jeff, can be it can be set really anywhere in that channel. Um, I'll let anyone else take that if they know of recommendations of where the PLC should be set or where they've seen operators typically set the PLC if it's. Uh, you know, if 850 is not a good frequency due to LTE or anything. Guys, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, what we normally put it right in the middle of the channel. If by default, if, if no one sets it, we're going to pick that. Um, John and I did a lot of testing early on with errors and injecting a load of noise onto the PLC. And it it takes an awful lot to drive that down. I've heard of very few customers that have had a problem like with you know, LTE type of thing driving down the PLC. It's uh, it's it's robust. But what's the modulation again on PLC? Uh, it's like 16 qualm or something? So I think it's uh, pretty robust. Is it 16 or QPSK for the PLC? I, I think it's QPSK for the PLC. And it's, yeah, it's, it's robust. But but that said, I have, I've seen someone knock that down um, with, <laughs> with air. So you, you don't want your PLC to go down. And you, so if, you know, you 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 got to get it out of the way if you got really bad bad stuff. But usually, if it's that bad to interfere with the PLC, you ought to put an exclusion band around that part of your spectrum anyway, because it's it's going to mess up the rest of it too. Yeah, there's going to be other. Issues I, I would say on. I would say an example would be what if um, you know you're 700 to 900 megahertz OFDM, and um, maybe an ounce of prevention with the pound of cure to stay away from where you think LTE is. It's really not that bad. But what if you have house amplifiers that roll off at 750? 
Yeah. You don't want you to put your PLC at 800 if you know in some cases it's not going to work at all, maybe. I'm just thinking out loud, you know. Uh, I might not put it in the roll-off where I might have roll-off. Yes. And in housing, you know, so we did a, a part of a cable labs uh, working group that I'm on. Uh, we're, we're doing some analysis and stuff because you mentioned house amplifiers, John. It is surprising how many issues that house amplifiers will cause. Um, so word of caution to anyone out there, whether you're a technician or a homeowner and you run into a house amplifier, keep an eye on uh, those house amplifiers. They cause lots and lots of issues for you. Uh, troubleshoot them first is what I'm getting at. So, um, Anyone else who has questions for us, please get those into the chat soon because um, we don't have much more time left on this podcast or live stream. Uh, so OUDP and leakage, um, you know, we kind of covered the, the hows and the whys. Implementation, so how are vendors, impl- are, are vendors implementing this? Is this something theoretical at this point? Are we actually seeing products out there that can, that can do this, that can you know, actually make put this into cable operators hands um flavio i'll let you start on this yeah well as far as the uh the uh the test equipment or if you want the the, the detection equipment vendors such as ourselves okay uh, most of us have already implemented uh you know various solutions okay based of course around oudp test burst detection okay um now there's probably different variations in the way it's being done Okay. Um, as far as the, you know, as far as the uh, CNPS vendors and cable modem vendors as well. As, okay. Um, there's, they also have started, you know, implementing, um, you know, means of configuring, if you want, the cable modems. Um, there are different ways of doing it. I've, I've witnessed, uh, you know, a test when we did testing with different vendors. Okay. I've noticed, uh, differences in the way the, um, the, the, uh, you know, the, the cable ones are programmed and so on. But what I did realize, okay, in, in seeing the testing is that there's not, if you want, there's not really a standard way of doing it yet. Okay, so there are little, you know, discrepancies between the way the vendors, you know, apply the the programming to the CMTS in order to initiate these OUDP test bursts. Mm -hmm. So I would assume, you know, obviously as time goes on, as we have more experience with it, okay, there may be, you know, there's going to be some probably some some um, uh, common things that will be implemented within all the vendors in order for all the detection equipment as well to be, you know, compatible with it. Okay. So if I'm a cable operator today and I'm, I'm starting to expand my plant to a high split, um, what do I have to look at on the CMTS side and cable modem, Jason, um, to like, do I have to make any upgrades? Do I have to make, do I have to upgrade my firmware, my modems or anything like that in order to start thinking about supporting OUDP leakage testing? Yeah, we, we added a support back in April last year. So it would have been like a 17.6 release for Cisco. Um, we were at the, the the Cable Labs kind of sponsored event. It was at Char- Charter hosted it in Denver that uh, Epigis was at, along with all the rest of the uh, test set equipment as well. But um, yeah, you need to have that code where that feature was, was enabled. Again, like I said, we weren't using it originally. 
you know, for OUDP selection, but uh, you need to have that feature in it. On the modem code side, again, there have to be some, the modem might have to have some firmware upgrade, but it's, they, the, that firmware has been available for a while, around a, a while as well. One of the things we didn't, we didn't go into, if we got a second, that just, you know, what we see on the CMTS when we're scheduling it, we, we just schedule the modem to transmit these bursts. And then we note that we actually receive that burst from the modem. Some of the early codes that were on some, some modems, we would tell the modem to transmit that burst, but we wouldn't actually get the modem. The modem wasn't doing it. You need to have in the CMTS to know that when I told him to transmit, that he actually transmit and re-received it. That way you know that he's a source that's actually generating that traffic that can be measured. So there was some early versions of code that maybe it wouldn't, it didn't recognize what we were doing with that, with the burst test, that a, a firmware upgrade uh, fixed that. But all the modems that I've dealt with, um, uh, with any kind of recent code, they, they support that as well. Yeah. And Let me give you a, um, a little gotcha that uh, Jason and I have seen is that uh, kind of like CMTS cable modem trying to be smart, smarter than everybody else. And a lot of the 31 modems have maybe an 85 or 204 filter that can automatically go 85 or 204. And when we first started um, reading, I think it's a TLV or uh, something like that. Um, if you configured your OFDMA below 117, this, the cable modem would say, hey, because um, uh, 117 was a legal filter according to 3.1 spec, but no one does it 117. And in the modem, because it was not above 117, would flip on its 85 megahertz filter and it wouldn't lock onto the OFDMA. So the, the workaround was just make sure you, you configure your OFDMA above 117 and then the 204 filter would activate. So I'm just thinking in my mind, if someone's doing OFDMA just a 115, and then they try to do the burst at 137, maybe it won't work. And, and, and it's probably not working in the first place because the 85 filter kicked in right. for the modem itself. No, that's, that's, a, that's a good input. Um, when you're doing this, does a subscriber have any negative impacts from, from running these bursts? Is that another gotcha? Are we, are we impacting subscriber speed? Not, it's minimal. What we, um, I should say, we allow you to configure that burst to be as long as, or the frequency is as big as you want. Um, what typically people are going to configure is something like uh, 1.6 megahertz for four mini slots. So we're talking about small, small percentages, especially typically when you're going to need this, you moved up to 204. Now we're talking about those bigger, you know, 96 megahertz wide channels. So you're probably talking less than 1% uh, loss in channel capacity. Right. Yeah. I got a question now, because I was under the impression that during the test first that were going on, there was no actually live data on, uh, at, that, at that time. Am I wrong? It's not right. Well, I mean, there's live traffic going on. We use uh, interval usage code 13, and that's what the motor sending, but it is not sending right. data. That's right. So that's why you lose that 1% of the traffic. Okay. What it is is that you'll lose it for the for the burst duration. And if there's a gap between it, we won't we'll have it as be a gap. Um, there could there could be a cycle gap at the end. We'll right. send we can send probing in there. We can also send data in there if we're not sending probing. So you lose a little bit less than that. But but you're right on. We're, we are not sending any data in that 1.6 megahertz at the time when we're actively sending those uh, OUDP test bursts. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Well, 
Jeff came back. He was he was the person who asked about the downstream RXMER question, and he says the reason he asked was he has a Motorola. He had a Motorola MB eight six one one, and it started rebooting after filling up the log with tons of sync timing failures. Um, no range responses received. T three timeouts. He switched to a Netgear CM two thousand. And I'm su- uh, he said that fixed, and now it stays connected. It showed the downstream and OFDM frequency differences between the two modems. Um, so I think that's probably what he was seeing issues with. And I, I'm not sure. Does anyone know what the difference is between, I, I believe that both of those are DOCSIS 3.1 modems, the CM2000. I know I have one behind me. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the 8611 number. I know that's yeah, a, that is also a 3.1 modem as well. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Yep. So. No. Yeah, I'm not sure, Jeff. I'm not sure we have an answer for you there, but uh, 850, me- or 850 megahertz on the PLC, as we talked before, uh, there's probably not a problem with that. And as Jason uh, mentioned, it's darn hard to kill the PLC. If you do, you probably have bigger problems going on in the plant. Right. So, yeah. Sorry, Jeff. I don't have a solution for you. And uh, and I don't think anyone else on here is. Yeah, he says, yes, do- both are DOCSIS 3.1 modems. Um, so not sure on that, but it is interesting that switching the modem, uh, resolved your issue. Glad that did resolve your issue for you. Um, so on the OUDP leakage side, guys, is there anything we have not covered today? Anything you want to uh, add in before you wrap up? Uh, what's, what's the, uh, typical frequency we would be using? Um, for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, OUDP is normally around 138 is what okay. is being used. Although um, that too is um, is something that you know that that us personally we're looking at is actually to do it also elsewhere, okay, within you know obviously within the the uh, good portion of the aeronautical band, but typically okay, it's one, right now we're, it's being done at one thirty eight or one point six megahertz. Uh, channel and is that because we've used typically 138 as a downstream test frequency as well or well 138 is a uh, it's a it's a common spot okay that everybody uses and then obviously it's right in the middle of the aeronautical band okay and nothing's being really put there other than a lot of uh, public uh, there's all kinds of uh, radio astronomy and all kinds of other uh, usage in that in that uh, slot of spectrum so that is a you know that is, is a very common frequency that's that's being used uh, in in an analog and in an digital environment as well Makes sense. I, I had a couple of things, maybe just to, that I didn't, I, we didn't necessarily come across, but some of them were, you know, we we use the pilot patterns. That's actually what the test set test set is keying on to make sure that they know this is originating from an OFDMA channel as opposed to just some over the air interference. Um, those pilot patterns that pretty much universal the test manufacturers want to see are non-boosted pilot patterns, and they're the pilot pattern that has the most overhead in it. Um, that's really not a problem on this IUC 13. But what does come into play is we support boosted pattern, boosted pilot patterns and non-boosted pilot patterns. But the spec doesn't allow you to, to mix those on the same OFDMA channel. So if you're doing this, you're going to be using non-boosted pilot patterns. Kind of a moot point. I, I don't think a lot of people use these boosted pilot patterns in the, in the past. But just to bring up, you know, if you're doing this leakage detection, you're going to not use boosted patterns. That means you're not going to be able to use boosted patterns anywhere else on any other IUCs on that same channel. Hmm. How does that impact the modem performance, Jason? 
Yeah, not not a bunch. What what it does when you when you boost the pilot when you boost the pilot pattern in there, it's a different pattern. Actually, has you need less pilots, therefore you get a little less overhead with the pilot pattern. Um, when you use boosted pattern with non-boosted, then you're going to have more pilots in a given mini slot, so you end up having a little bit more overhead dedicated to the pilot pattern. All right. I think the spec says the boosted pilot for upstream is 4.7 dB higher, higher. than right. the regular pilot patterns. And then I asked, I think, Roger Fish at, at Cable Labs Broadcom, I said, does that affect my total power? Like, what if I'm worried about laser clipping yeah. or upstream mm-hmm. load? And he says, just because that's up by 4.7, there's not that many of them, and it's bursting through. He says, it might be a dB, half a yeah. dB more. But- a DB Nothing. can be big when you know when we start getting these big channels now, your max transmit power is going to drop and everything may start mattering then. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was also thinking, you know, you, you asked about Brady, you asked about that in performance hit to the customer. You know how we schedule our traffic left to right in frequency on OFDMA. So if I were to do my my last OFDMA block from 108 to 204, that's a 96 megahertz block. 108 and then if i'm doing 138 for my boost when no one's really bursting a gig traffic on the upstream or something like that you're going to see a spectrum analyzer grab from the left to the right but then you might see one little burst at 138 because that's my my oudp test burst right so i'm just thinking like what you might see on the spectrum analyzer usually it starts filling from the left to the right if someone's trying to do one gig from their home you're going to see the whole thing burst up right but many times people aren't doing that. You know, they're doing normal traffic or whatever. And you might just put it on peak hold and slowly fill up from the left. And then, but every once in a while, you might see that test burst pop up kind of off by itself. Yeah, and I think that's important so, to realize we're not using the entire OFDMA channel. We're just using a very small sliver of it to create our yeah. test signal that we need to measure. So, all right, guys, um, one last call. Anything else we want to mention before we wrap it up? Going once? Going twice. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Flavio, thank you for your time today. Jason, thank you. And John, thank you. So John and Jason are from Cisco, and Flavio is from Effigis. Guys, great information today. Um, We'll be back um, in a week. Uh, Ron and I, next week, will be doing a discussion on what is a decibel. So everyone, please join us back then. Do smash that. Well, that's basic. Do smash that uh, thumbs, that like button, and hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed what you saw today, we'd greatly appreciate it. So, guys, thanks again. Take care. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk again. So long, everyone. Thanks. We're signing off.